All right, and welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. I know it's been a while, but we have a big day coming up on Thursday. It's the 2018 NBA Draft, where the Pacers scouts, more than 10 of them, have been spending more than a year preparing for Thursday night. The Pacers own picks 23 and 50. Pick 23 because, unfortunately for them, they lost a four-way tiebreaker. And so they will be picking 23rd in Thursday's draft, which will get underway after 7 p.m. Pacers brought in 29 different guys for pre-draft workouts. They visited all kinds of agencies uh, as they held pro days. This is something new uh, as it's grown substantially over the last couple of years. And more than just these pre-draft workouts is we're seeing agencies wanting a little bit more control of their client. And in part of this, it's a way to showcase all of their clients on their turf at the same time. So for a stretch of about two weeks, Pacers decision makers spent time in Las Vegas and Los Angeles area, bouncing around the various agencies as they held their pro day. That's one of the many ways that the Pacers are able to evaluate guys. Of course, they're doing it throughout the college basketball season. They're doing it on video with Synergy and other platforms, even YouTube for those guys overseas. So that's an ongoing process throughout the entire year. They have scouts stationed throughout the United States, including two scouts across the country. So two overseas scouts plus several more here in the U.S., covering regions and then of course they'll bring in guys like Ryan Carr he's the guy that heads up the entire draft process for the Pacers as the director of player personnel he's been with the team for quite a long time initially came on as a video intern for Larry Bird's first staff that was all the way back in 1997 he left for a little bit then returned when Larry Bird became the president of basketball operations in 2003 and For the last long while, he's headed up the draft first as the director of scouting. And at this time, about last year, he was promoted, at least title-wise, to the director of player personnel. So once those guys have narrowed down their their list of guys, which a list starts probably anywhere from the range of 150 to 200 players for each draft class that they are considering. So they're looking over those lists. They're filling out a database, both that they have built online, um, that all of them have access to, and they're continually filling that out and adding to that database, whether it's intel on their basketball or intel on the character or the player off the floor. Because we know when these teams are making significant investments in their guys, we're talking millions guaranteed, at least when it comes to the first round and second round We're seeing more and more of those guys get guaranteed contracts in whatever form it may be, even if it's in the form of a two-way contract. That was something we saw this Pacers team do last year, acquire a pick from New Orleans for cash considerations. They, in turn, used that on Edmund Sumner, who essentially had a redshirt season as he rehabbed from several surgeries um, before playing again with the Mad Ants, making his debut, and now is fully healthy as he heads into his second offseason, his first summer league, things like that. So there's so many things under consideration for all of these teams during the draft. And at this point, more than 48 hours before the draft, teams probably have their iteration of the draft, the cluster in which what players will go, mostly set. After the lottery, that's when things get tricky, when you begin in picks 14, 15, 16, because we'll see teams maybe trade up to get a guy that they thought would be taken in the lottery. Maybe we'll see guys 
reach a little bit for a player that was not expected, let's say, to go in the top 20, and that's where things get very tricky. So the Pacers probably at this point also have a list of, say, five, six, seven names that they expect or hope to be available around the time they're on the clock at pick 23. In turn, maybe two, three will not be by that point, but they have that grouping in order of who they would select at that spot. And then throughout the last week and beyond that, they've been fielding calls, they've been making calls, and that's not unusual. Even if teams don't act on it, they're constantly in communication with teams across the league and evaluators and those close to draft hopefuls that can share some knowledge and intel, media as well. One of the biggest things in this final week that teams are trying to figure out are what other teams like, who they may be focused on, who are they zeroed in on, because in turn that then adjusts their board a little bit. And if they can have better intel than other teams, they'll be better prepared and maybe gives them a little assist if someone comes a call in trying to acquire that pick or back out for whatever reason. Ultimately for the Pacers, it's Kevin Pritchard. He's the president of basketball operations He'll make the final call who the Pacers will draft and uh, also field many calls, much like general manager Chad Buchanan will. And here's something to keep in mind in the recent history of this franchise. They've made a draft night trade 10 of the last 12 years, the two exceptions being 2009 and 2015. Last year was Edmund Sumner, 2016, before the draft, right before it, They traded their pick at 20 for Thaddeus Young. And two years before that, back in 2014, didn't really like anything that was on the board, so Larry Bird opted to trade their second-round selection that they had to New York for cash considerations. That's something that's become even more popular, a more popular transaction than ever as teams are strapped with not much wiggle room within the salary cap. It's what we saw from the Golden State Warriors, who just won their third title in four years. They paid the Chicago Bulls about $3.5 million to move into that spot, which they then used to draft Jordan Bell, who was in the rotation for their most recent NBA title. There was the draft combine. There was all those pro days, which I discussed. Then there was those pre-draft workouts. And typically, the Pacers bring in anywhere from 36 to 42 different guys. They come in groupings of six, although there was one exception for the Pacers this year, and that was Jalen Brunson, the National Player of the Year and part of that championship team this past year. He came in, had his own workout, and What we know from that is there's not too much to read into that. That was very much situational. It wasn't meant to be private or unique or by himself. That's just the way the schedule worked for both the Pacers as well as Jalen Brunson. Um, When these guys are flying across the country, they may be doing seven, eight workouts. Some we talked to did as many as 15 and 16, which is unbelievable because they're squeezing it in such a short time, typically about a month long. So they're jamming it in. They're getting all this workout gear. They're visiting with teams. They're getting their bodies looked out, evaluated by various team doctors. They're going to lunch with the teams. They're flying to a new city and then repeating the whole process the following day for a whole new team. There's many tiers that guys fall into. It's that all-star, all-NBA level. You have the starter You have a rotational guy, and then what most of these guys, most of these names, and especially those here in this draft from Central Indiana Colleges, 
is you have the fringe players where one, two names that you know very well may get drafted, but most likely not. Several of them, guys from Butler, guys from IU, guys from Purdue have been in visiting with the Pacers and likewise uh, Pacers interviewing them, whether it be at the Combine, whether it be at various pro days. They're taking it all into consideration because, well, you just never know when you may be able to Go get that player, and for what purpose? Maybe it's for the G League and for the Mad Ants up in Fort Wayne. Maybe a guy develops, whether it's one of those guys I talked about or it's another guy down the line, you have an opportunity to pitch to him in free agency three, four years down the road. You want to have those inroads with the player, with his trusted circle, with his agent, all those sorts of things. So also much about this process isn't about today as much as it is about two, three years down the road. One thing I want to stress to you, don't overreact. Really, don't react too much at all because what this draft process is all about is two, three years down the road, especially for these players and even more so as teams are drafting one-and-dones or guys that have two years and that's it of experience. Give them time. I don't truly like to evaluate guys until they are through with their third NBA season. Give them three years. Remember, Paul didn't play much in his first year. He had to play defense and master the defensive end, so Jim O'Brien would put him in. This is an inexact science. There's no direct method or anything you can lean on more than anything, right? You can't just go off analytics or just the eye test or complete breakdowns by your scouts. You have to lean on so many of these things, and this is where, number one, it's on Ryan Carr to put it all into a nice binder that all of them can sift through. And this includes their medical information. This includes their social media profile. This includes the hangers-on that all these guys experience, some better than others, right? Then once the Pacers are on the clock, it'll be on Kevin Pritchard. He'll siphon through all the information. Maybe ask around the room, but then it's him making the final call for what the Pacers will do in the 2018 NBA Draft. Well, after the Pacers' final pre-draft workout that was held earlier this week on Tuesday, we got to talk to Ryan Carr, the brains behind the Pacers' draft operation, to discuss so many things. It was funny, as he left, he joked that, yep, they let me out of the cave. This is the one time he talks throughout the year, really. And then he goes back in and grinds away with his dozen or so scouts over the draft process. He reveals a little bit about what their mindset is, especially with the Pacers still awaiting the decision from Thaddeus Young on his player option, it doesn't really go into consideration too much because this is something you have to understand. Really throughout the entire draft, but even more so at pick 23, is you're drafting the best player available. You're not looking and saying, well, we have a couple of centers, or you know what, we have a couple of scoring guards. No, you're drafting the guy that has the highest potential, the highest end game, that could have a max contract. You want to draft that guy and have to decide on him later, an all-NBA type. You get it. It's about best player available, with the one caveat, being fit. Fit is critically important, and really, it's underrated, in my opinion. So here's Ryan Carr. He talked about the draft, pick 23, what factors go into their decision, what's it like the final 48 hours leading up to the draft, and then making that final call. There's good players at 23. Uh, We're trying to figure out who exactly will be there. Um, you know, based on intel on what other teams like or uh, different things, but you know, it's it's a it's a good draft. It's I'd say it's uh, a little deeper than probably what we thought at the start of the year. 
as different kids emerge and uh, show that they've gotten better. So we, we think there will be uh, some interesting guys there. As an organization, you know what Bad uh, Young is going to do. No, that's a that's a KP and Chad question, but uh, as far as I know, we don't. You don't. It, is that problematic for you? You don't know what the situation is going into the draft? I think in the draft, especially in the, you know, we're drafting the 20s, you're trying to find the, the player that has the best chance to be an NBA player, uh, uh, you know, at least a rotation player. So I don't think you're too worried about trying to fit fit a certain guy in. Not, not you know, not in the 20s. Right. You're not looking for another power forward. You're just yeah, for the best I th- yeah, we're, we, you got to look for, you know, if you look at the statistics over the years on, um, you know, hits and misses in the draft. You know, you better you better pick the guy that you think has the best chance of having a career. Has KP and Chad expressed you maybe needs with that position, kind of the prototypical player they want to see? Well, we, we talk a lot um, all year about the kinds of things that we're looking for in players. And, you know, I think this year on the court, um, you know, everybody got to see the kind of guys um, – that we think can succeed here uh, going forward, and that's guys that play together. They're about the team. They're, you know, they're gonna move the ball. Um, you know, we, those kinds of things uh, are the kinds of things that we need to continue to add. Ryan, has your uh, your investigation into these players' personality changed? And by that, I mean you're looking for blending into the team, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's got a lot of us to do with three points made and more to mm-hmm. do. With talking or whatever. How much talking do you do and has it changed over the years? Yeah, well, in my 15 years of doing this, it's definitely uh, evolved 100%. Um, When we started, you know, at the Combine, you didn't even have scheduled interviews. Um, Now you do, and you get a lot more chances to to meet with these kids, whether it's at the pro days or, you know, certainly the time we spend with them when they come to a visit here. Um, You know, those interviews at the Combine, there's there's a a lot more chances to interact. It's still not recruiting. Um, it's not like colleges where you you know you're talking to them on the phone and all that. But but you definitely uh, get a chance to get to know them better. Um, it's important to start building relationships. Um, you know, and uh, we we try to do the best we can given the the amount of contact we can have with them. Has KP, the switch from Bird to KP led to even more of the? personality research no I don't think so I mean you know Larry's you know if if you look at um, you know Larry's DNA as a player and the kinds of teams that that he wanted to build here it's you know it's still it's still the same kind of team play Um, you know we feel like you know we'd like to uh, build a team where the sum is bigger than the the parts Um, you know, and when, when a guy like Victor buys into that and is that kind of player and person, uh, it really helps a lot. Ryan, last, last year you guys basically drafted development <coughs> two, three years down the road. What is the importance on readiness that, for this year's draft for you guys? You know, again, I think you, you take that into consideration as you look towards who's going to have a chance to be the best player down the road. You know, TJ last year, that was a deep freshman class coming out. There's a lot of good uh, freshman players, and, you know, that's that's kind of what the, the strength or how a draft is judged, you know, five years from now is how those one-and-dones uh, end up panning out. You know, we, we felt comfortable with TJ and liked him, and, 
you know, he's hopefully going to uh, prove that he's a player that we believe he's, he is. Um, you know, this year, um, you know, it, it, you're balancing one and dones with overseas guys, with uh, four-year college guys, and, you know, you, you're doing your best. It all comes down to who you feel is going to be the, you know, the best player. I hate to just keep saying it's probably a boring answer, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. Ryan, you only have two days left until the draft. How much even does uh, an event like this, when you've done so much homework already, really add to the information you have? Yeah, it, 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 it really helps. I mean, you're getting a chance to have our coaches work with our players. We're getting a chance to have them interact with our staff. Um, and again, be able to spend time with them, take them to lunch. Uh, just again, get more time with them to get to know them. You know, would uh, you know no draft workout, whether it's in the middle of May or you know June 19th, you know shoots a guy up a draft board, you know immeasurably. But uh, it's a part of it, and we always talk about it's a uh, pie, and there's different pieces to it. There's a lot of different pieces that go into it. And, um, you know, you have to you have to as a uh, team and as a uh, you know, as a strategy, figure out what each of those pieces mean to you and how much you value them. But, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's always good to have them. Is there a chance the person you draft Thursday did not visit here? Uh, it's a good question. I, I say there, there could be a chance. Um, you know, we, we kind of look at it like the draft is two things. It's, you know, who's going to be there. And then of those guys that you like, um, if you can't move, you know, if, if you're going to stay at 23, who's going to be gone? And then if those guys that are left, uh, you know, who do you like and in what order? Um, you know, if we have we have a pretty good feeling that 15 or 16 guys are gone, um, you know, for sure. So you start with that group, and there's some, some guys in that group that for – uh, different reasons didn't come visit us and um, so we'll see we like you know we we work hard to make sure we know them uh, like I said there's other opportunities for us to to get a chance to get to know them other than here um, and see them uh, work out and stuff so we we feel comfortable um, you know whoever we pick we'll feel comfortable with probably the best way to say last season's the success this team being replaced with the traded or free agents. Mm-hmm. Going forward specifically with this draft, how much do you want to have maybe homegrown, home drafted players to be a part of this new this Yeah, we always talk about the draft is essential for uh, for you know a team like ours where we feel like we're gonna need to uh, over guys to overachieve like probably where they're drafted, whether it's eleven or twenty-three or nineteen or whatever it is. So we we do. We put a big emphasis on getting these guys that we draft better and, and putting a lot of value in it. And, uh, you know, the draft is not an immediate thing. Uh, the draft is, you know, kind of a grassroots thing. You're, you're drafting them. You're starting to work with them. You're going to bring them along. Um, you know, when you're drafting 23, it's pretty rare to get somebody that's going to step in and be a starter, even a you know, a high rotation guy next year as a rookie. It's going to take some time. It's a, it's a big jump, uh, especially as, you know, the drafts now have become full of younger players. Well, the, uh, the atmosphere around here has changed with Vic's presence. Has that trickled down to scouting? Oh, yeah. I mean, Vic's, Vic's infectious. I mean, when you come walking into work and 
you hear him singing or you know just the smile he brings um, you know as a as a IU former IU guy a long time before Vic was there you know he, but even then like when I'd see him at games uh, when he was playing for Orlando or wherever you know he'd always come by and say hi he just he's that kind of guy um, Vic has has it whatever it is and um, yeah it's it's a it's fun you know all of us you know our scouting staff you know we spend a lot of time not in Indianapolis uh, and not at home so when you when you're gone a lot when you know you're working for you know and trying to trying to make it seem better full of not only people you work for um, that are great to work for but also the guys on the court when you come in the building make you feel appreciated for the last you know 10 days you've been in Europe bouncing around that's pretty cool you know uh, my last trip to Europe I was texting Vic back and forth a little bit about some of the guys I was seeing and he's you know he's loves it like he's he's totally invested in everything and and um, you know helps helps all of us on certain long days be invested you know as much as he is it's a it's a it's a team that the guys on the court, but also the guys that fill these offices, and uh, and it's a fun place to work. How inquisitive is Victor in this process? You said talking about your even draft process. Does he ask about players? Yeah, uh, not me personally as much, uh, but I know that that Kevin and Chad have talked to him. Uh, they just went down to see him work out uh, here a week or so ago, and uh, I'm, I know that you know that's part of the conversation. Not not that. Um, you know, I don't know to what extent, but I do know that that he was, you know, they were asking about players. What, what's the process, Ryan, for the next seventy-two hours as you lead up to the draft? Yeah, we, you know, we still. I was just talking to Chad over there. We have some guys that we want to continue to watch some more film on and talk about. Uh, the process is a lot of phone calls to try to really boil in uh, down what other teams are doing. And, uh, and and then just make sure that we're we're dialed in make sure we're organized uh, we want we want Thursday night uh, to be as smooth and calm as it can be when calls come in for Kevin we want to be organized have the answers for him you know we want it you know to be at our fingertips and we don't want to be um, you know we don't want to be you know uh, disorganized with anything so really, that's my job to make sure all of that is ready to go for Thursday night. When will you make that decision? This is my guy, or will it? Or yeah, I think when like, you know who's really there. I think we'll have a, a small group of guys. I think we have a small group of guys that we're there on. But you know, an important line also that we come up with every year is if none, you know, if none of these guys are gone, then maybe it's best for the franchise to trade for a player that maybe a trade that's on the board or or something like that to the future there's there's so many different scenarios that we have to run through and make sure we're we're clear on is there any chance to move up uh i know we're investigating it we're we investigate moving up down um all over the place so there's all those calls have been going on for quite a while how is kevin's war room different than larry's um you know very similar um you know they operate operate the same. Um, you know from a preparation standpoint, uh, from a function standpoint, uh, not not really not really any 
Are and they sitting different. back and waiting to hear everyone's opinion before sharing? That yours? stuff's all done. Uh, that I mean, the war room meaning draft night. That stuff's all done by then. There's no arguments going on uh, during the during the draft. That would be uh, that would not be good. You you want no. You don't want confusion. You want clarity uh, when you have to make make decisions. So you know those things have have for the most part been ironed out. Um, and no, I'd say most of the major arguments have, have been have been hashed out by now. Have you seen the pictures of Miles Turner? I did. I saw them. It looks great. That was that was uh, pretty awesome. It looks like he was on Vic, whatever Vic was doing last summer. So we're only what five, six weeks into the off season, whatever we are, and um, that's pretty awesome to see see that or he's five weeks into his training should say and to see that that's pretty awesome how much do analytics come into play during your draft process? yeah another piece of the puzzle for sure and we we look at them um, we have you know two different guys that have their own models of analytics that, that we use and we, we trust them and uh, it's definitely definitely something that uh, gets talked about and is part of the decision Drafting and stashing an option for you? Um, second round, it could be. I don't. I don't know that there's a player on the board uh, in the first round that would be fall into that category. Right? How's how's evaluating and, and get, gathering intel overseas? How much of an obstacle is that versus here? Well, we have two great uh, overseas scouts that work really hard. One lives in Barcelona. One in Belgrade. Uh, they do a great job. You know, they they grew up in that world. Um, you know, one was a GM for a team in Spain and, and played at, uh, at Barcelona. They have great contacts that make it easy uh, for us to go over and meet people and get to know people and, and build those relationships ourselves. So, you know, when I first took um, this director job eight, nine years ago or whatever it was, um, you know, that was a big point of emphasis for me was I, I hadn't been over there a whole lot. So uh, meeting as many of those people and getting kind of as acclimated over there as I feel like I am here. And uh, it's fun. The, it, it's fun to go meet people. They all love basketball. They're all, um, you know, trying to, to be good coaches and, and uh, stuff. So it's been fun. We've had some foreign coaches come help us in summer league. We try to build relationships with different people and you know it's a it's a little bit different but uh but all good basketball is a great language